0: Thank you for listening to this podcast one production available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Stelio Chico Pitt Bull Mister Three Hundred Five, but I said Mister Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here, at Negative to Positive, is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power.
1: Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. Today is a very special day because <laughs> it just proves how much Haley loves The Witching Hour because this wonderful person is taking the week off, should be disconnecting and not working, but she's here talking movies with me.
2: Why would I miss that? I know. I know. <laughs> That's part of the work week. It's worth signing on for.
1: Every single time we don't do a witching hour a week for whatever reason, maybe because we recorded two the week before for an interview. Like it always feels like there's, there's something major missing from my week.
2: I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to skip it. So we are. Anyone who may have guessed it in my spot. No.
1: I feel like I never want to miss it, but we have a couple of like, regular rotating guests that I always love to see their faces, whether whether I'm doing the episode with them or not. So if we get like a Matt or a Dorina, I don't know. We love exactly. we love our little witchy
2: crew. Yes.
1: All right. Dewey Dewey's looking at me. He's like, what about me? Can I be a part of this? He's, <laughs> he's being always- a little he's being a terror today. I don't want to like disrupt what's happening right now. Sounds- All right. We got stuff to get to. We Hmm. want to start with Lovecraft Country. Okay. Okay. So I have watched the first five episodes of the Lovecraft Country. I'm not going to spoil anything at all for you, but just in case you missed the series premiere last Sunday, I will tell you that the pilot episode of this show, I think is pretty, Pretty close to perfection. It's really good. I had to watch the first five episodes to prepare for my wunmi masaku ladies night, and I over prepared and I watched all of the episodes multiple times. But in particular. I watched episode one, like it must've been like four times. And then I watched it with my family for the premiere. I just wanted to, like, I wanted to know everything and have time to like look for little details and stuff. But from a storytelling perspective, I think the script is so incredibly refined and just such a perfect tee up for the entire series. But another great thing is the ensemble, the the show is largely about a family or yeah, you know, like a very close-knit group of people, some of which are family and some are not, but it is a team effort in terms of fighting evils, supernatural evils, and very real human evils that exist in our world and are extremely unsettling and upsetting. Jonathan Majors leads the cast. He is phenomenal. Guess what? journey smollett is great again too i adore courtney b vance in every single thing he's in and this is no different you don't get enough wunmi masaku in episode one but i can promise you that's a coming ingenue ellis is real real good she plays courtney b vance's character's wife and up into so i've seen up to episode five and she doesn't really get into the like the crazy action of it all yet, but she's, carry, she's doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to more subtle character development and family building material. So the fact that she shines as much as she does in comparison to all of the flashy stuff that's happening around her makes me think like, you are real talented. But the first episode is largely a tee up to uh, some of the crazy stuff that they're going to be getting into. And I think it's extremely well done. So those are my thoughts on the pilot episode. Moving into episode two, it, it was it was very jarring for me. I am not going to say it's not worth a watch because it most certainly is. And there are a lot of key details that you're going to get in season two that's going to pave the way for what's to come. And I know that might sound like a silly statement when we're talking about a, a season of TV. But one of the qualities of Lovecraft Country that I enjoy the most is that... Every episode almost does play like a little standalone story, and it embraces a different subgenre. But of course, there is, you know, an overarching story that's going to carry us through the season. But I, I really like that, that distinct style and, and genre of each episode. But anyway, episode two is what really gets into the meat of some of the information we're going to need to understand the mythology at play. And whereas episode one is extremely refined, I found episode two quite messy. I still really, really liked the characters, though. And I think that's what kept me invested from start to finish. It is also beautifully shot. All of episode one, all of episode two. There is never a frame of this show where I am not engaged in what I'm looking at alone. But they do need to convey some very convoluted information. I'm not quite sure that they did it the best possible way. Because even when I got some answers by watching future episodes, I went back and rewatched episode two to see if it played a little better with knowing certain things. I don't think that was the case. So I think they get into rockier territory as far as storytelling in episode two, but have no fear. It gets right back on track after that. So that is where I stand on episodes one and two of Lovecraft Country on HBO, which you could watch on Sunday nights.
2: No. I'm surprised I have you didn't not jump right on this.
1: What? I'm surprised you didn't jump right on this, Lovecraft Country. What?
2: As I'm about to say, I have had so many other screeners I have to watch and I wasn't reviewing or doing interviews for it. So it's just something I'm a bit behind on because, well, before I was watching TCA screeners and now I have been just, what's the right word? Demolishing, maybe? Uh, Obliterating? Absolutely positively plowing through Fantasia Festival screeners. I love Um, the intensity there. I've just seen it just started today um, or I suppose when this airs it will be yesterday that it kicked off Um, and you know we are lucky enough to get advanced screeners so I've already seen I think 15 movies Um, many of them are still under embargo (laughs) yes as I said demolishing Um, and it's been a blast it's been such a treat such a joy you know we have not had access to the films that we usually get to see this year. Uh, The whole release structure has been changed. Film festivals have been canceled or postponed. But fortunately, Fantasia is still happening virtually. And it is such a blessing to get to watch all these crazy indie, foreign, sci-fi, horror, action, comedy. Just, I've, I've loved it. I've mostly spent my whole vacation watching these movies, to be honest. And I have no regrets. But... I want to highlight some for you. And some of these I will have seen, some of them I've not seen, but I might have heard really good things about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blow through a lot of titles real quick. Uh, because the other thing about this year's Fantasia, it's not just virtual, it's positively stacked. There are so many movies, so many good movies, and I really have not. This is pretty rare, I think, when you're this many screeners in. I haven't seen a bad one yet. Fifteen. One. Fifteen. No. Wow. That, that really excites me. I I haven't yeah, nothing below a C plus, and there's only one that falls in that range. I've been I mean it's just been such a good haul. So um, I will say this this festival, because it is a Canadian festival, is geo locked to Canada online so if you are in canada get some tickets and watch some of these movies if not consider this sort of like uh, put these on your radar so real quick i'm going to run some down um and i'm going to start with comedy because that way i can start with one where the embargo is lifted and i love it yes. so much uh it's called monster seafood wars it's absolutely as ridiculous as that sounds it is a kaiju comedy classic man in suit style kaiju stuff Uh, But the basic premise is this kid who's obsessed with monsters and also kind of wanted to end world hunger devised a chemical agent that makes things very big. And oops, there are seafood monsters now. Um, I feel like the second you said
1: kaiju and man in suit, I'm like, that's a
2: Haley movie. It's the most Haley movie. I had so much fun. What did you say it was called? Monster Seafood Wars. Monster Seafood
1: Wars. Okay, I'm going to look it up.
2: Uh, it, I immediately like had to text Donato cause it's also totally his type of movie. <laughs> that,
1: yeah, so this, this all sounds very much in line with his taste.
2: It's like a foodie kaiju movie. It's perfect. And I love it. And it is completely over the top and ridiculous. And I, you know, by the description, probably if it's for you or not, if it's not for you, you're probably not going to enjoy it. If you are me, it is without question. One of my favorite things I've seen so far.
1: I feel like the poster. Yes, already sells how like kooky it probably is, and I love it. it
2: undersells it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it actually undersells the kookiness. It has some of the the funniest, goofiest sense of humor I've seen in a movie in a while, and it totally works for me. Uh, I just can't recommend it enough if you like kaiju comedy type stuff. It's I I will watch this movie. A million times. Uh, It will become a normal background movie for me. Um, Moving on, even though I could talk about Monster Seafood Wars for two hours easily. um, Special Actors uh, is still under embargo, so I will play it close. Wait, what's the date? Is it the 20th? It might not be. It's the 20th. Hey, I can talk about it. Special Actors? Yes. This one is from the director of One Side of the Dead. It is almost exactly what you expect by hearing that sentence if you saw One Cut of the Dead. It is the same kind of delightful genre comedy, except this one is not rooted in, like, zombies and horror. This one is more of a heist con job comedy, playing Mm -hmm. with that genre and those expectations. It's not quite as perfect as One Cut of the Dead. So few things are. But it is so very much the same spirit, energy, uh, laugh out loud comedy good heart um, and and I can't recommend it enough really I, I just had no idea that that filmmaker had a a second movie coming out so soon and we are so blessed because <laughs> it's, it's a joy Um, next up under comedy dinner in America I believe it's still under embargo but if you want you can go read reviews from I think it was at like fun maybe and they were all very Ooh, popular. yes yeah, I
1: want. Did I you, wanted to cover this one and didn't get to.
2: Okay, I was going to say, did you do? I,
1: um, I like the cast quite a bit: Kyle Galner and Emily Skeggs. I, th- I think someone did interview I believe, them. I, I, I think of, it might have been Jeff. I think Jeff reviewed. Uh, one uh, of them. One of them definitely did the interview, though.
2: Point being, You can find coverage on Collider.com right now. Full review. Uh. Interview. I can't say my thoughts, but read that review and it's in line with that. Um, and I, I just Kyle Gallner is one of those actors who I always love to see. He has such yeah. a a lovely presence and energy to be a total hippie about it.
1: Couldn't agree. Um,
2: <laughs> I'm gonna like do a little transition from comedy to thriller because this one yes. is sort of both. Uh, it's called Twelve Hour Shift. I believe there's a trailer that was just released, released, released um directed by Bria grant sort of a i guess i would say coen brothers influenced comedy thriller set in a hotel where there's a um like organ harvesting scheme happening okay and the whole thing goes crazy in one crazy night um i believe that's under embargo so i will just highlight it as a comedy thriller of interest Sign me up for anything with David Arquette. Yeah, uh, we are. There are actually two David Arquette uh, Johns at Fantasia this year. The his documentary, "You Cannot Kill David Arquette."
1: Oh, okay, okay.
2: <laughs> which is all about his, you know, uh, how he became really invested in the wrestling scene.
1: He's been like busy, busy in the film scene because he was at Sundance too with Mope.
2: Yes. Yeah, you love to see it. I missed him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, ended up in line behind him on a train once, and he was just so lovely. I couldn't help myself; I had to tell him how much I love Scream. I never bo- bothered mm-hmm. people in the wild, but I think one of my favorite like
1: times of my life was in was introducing my Dewey to that Dewey. Yes. Like, that picture is just hands down one of my favorite things in the world.
2: It's a blessed thing. And especially the whole orchestration of having Dewey in the office. Was Dewey
1: of was so not happy about he it. Was having this he didn't situation. appreciate it as much
2: as I did. <laughs> I remember going into the green room <laughs> and hiding him and just chaos. Yeah, he wanted out. <laughs> Aw, a little baby. Um, next up in thrillers is... Private Chat, which stars Uncut Gems, Breakout, Julia Fox as a cam girl, and it's uh, technically her first movie, although my understanding is that she started shooting Private Chat first, then filmed Uncut Gems during the making of it, and then also was finishing Private Chat after.
1: I can't find this one.
2: Uh, PVT Chat. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Maybe I'm saying it. Oh, I got it. Yes. Oh
1: boy! Look at that poster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just double checking the embargo on this because I don't want to get in trouble. Can I can I read what it's about? Please do. Jack
1: is an internet gambler living in New York City who becomes fixated on Scarlett, a cam girl from San Francisco. His obsession reaches a boiling point when fantasy materializes in reality, and Jack sees Scarlett on a rainy Chinatown street. I am, yeah, sign me up for this one. I would like to see this.
2: This is still embargoed till the day after this episode airs. so uh, stay tuned for more on that. But Julia Fox, man, she's a star. There's just no question about it. Like, if you saw Uncut Gem, you know. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with this woman. She's also a delightful follow on Instagram. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I will do that right now. (laughs) And while you do that, I will discuss one called The Oak Room, which is also under embargo. So I cannot say much except to tee up that it is a very dialogue driven thriller that was adapted from a play. And it's worth uh, worth putting on your radar. I'll have more to say about that when I do sort of my Fantasia wrap-up. Ooh. But it's
1: It's got These posters are so good. Yeah. Their artwork for almost every single movie you've named is is just like incredibly effective.
2: I feel like a lot of Indie movies really go above and beyond for the artwork because they have to get attention, right? I
1: guess. But this is just such a like a sleek little design here. And RJ Mitty always gets a thumbs up from me. And I'm so excited to see more Ari Millen. Because you know I was obsessed with uh, Orphan Black.
2: And I feel yeah. like we don't see him enough in other things. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, that design, I remember looking up sort of... It's a movie that will have you asking questions. And so after I watched it, I did a lot of Googling based on its, you know, previous festival runs and stuff, what people were saying. And I discovered that that artwork kind of goes back to the original stage play. Like they came prepared with good artwork when it first launched. So yes, I agree. And I, I found that very impressive how early they had these cool designs for it. Anyway, that's a, that's like a talky dialogue driven thriller set in a bar. Or a couple of bars It's told over lots of overlapping stories and it's all about storytelling. Um, We'll talk more about this later. Okay. And I'm going to try to not talk for a million hours. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to move into horror and there is a lot of horror. So I'm going to do these fairly quickly. I will keep up. I believe most of them, if not all of them, are still under embargo. The Reckoning is the opening night film, which I have not seen and I don't believe we'll be able to see. uh, Joe Anderson! Hmm? Joe Anderson! We love Joe Anderson. We do! This is uh, Neil Marshall's new movie. It's a witchcraft horror movie or maybe witch hunt horror movie. But it, it, it is the opening night film, so if you're curious on, like, reviews for that, I would keep an eye out over the weekend, because those who are in Canada will be able to see it and review it. Um, next up is The Dark and the Wicked, which is Brian Bertino's new movie. Ooh! And um, the way it's being sold. Also, it stars Marin Ireland, who we are obsessed with now. <laughs> this is such a good excuse for
1: us to get one of them on the show. Yes. I I'll take that. I'll take either of them.
2: <laughs> or both both, please. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a party. Yes. And so Brian Bertino is of course the director of The Strangers and the Monster. He really hasn't helmed that many films over the years, so I'm excited to see what he has. Everything they are saying in the publicity for this makes it sound like another really dark, really brutal, relentless horror thriller with like lots of character drama. So I'm super hyped for that. Um, and I love, even though he always makes me feel terrible, I do love Brian Bertino's first two movies. So I'm very excited. Uh, and yes, of course, after Umbrella Academy season two, I'll watch anything Marin Ireland does. I mean, I already liked her, but like now I love her. She don't. She does
1: not get enough credit for all of her work.
2: Couldn't agree more. Uh, so stay tuned for more thoughts on that. There's one, oh, so let me open up this tab because Shudder just picked up three of the movies. Ahead yes, of the I saw movie. that today. Yeah. And one of them is one that I was going to tee up. Why do I have so many windows open?
1: Story of our lives. I
2: and I tried to really, really get it closed down for this. Okay. Uh, so they picked up Lucky, Slacks, and Hunted. Slacks, I don't know much about, and I want to keep it that way until I see it, because it's about a killer pair of pants, and I just want to keep the mystery alive. Oh, I love killer <laughs> objects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stephen King approach. Uh, lucky, I'll just read it. I haven't seen it yet. Follows May, a self-help book author with all the answers, who finally, who suddenly finds herself stalked by a threatening but elusive masked man and caught in a struggle to get help from the people around her. Maintains to control over her own life. Ah, and it stars Bria Grant, who's also apparently having oh, that's a good fun. Wow, oh, she's having a good festival. Yeah, and uh, then Hunted uh, sounds actually Thank kind of cool. similar to Lucky, except it's more inspired by Red Riding Hood mythology. But it's also like a woman being relentlessly pursued by a scary man. Um, oh, that is Lucky that.
1: was supposed to be at a, Sorry, Lucky was supposed to be at South by Southwest, and it
2: made a Matt Donato
1: poster. Nice.
2: Reds. Reds. Got to get those reds. Uh, So I'm excited to see those all on Shudder. And everyone who listens or watches already knows we stand Shudder. What was
1: the title of the last one you said? Hunted. Hunted. Yeah. I love that I'm, like, by searching them all right now, I'm creating, like, a to-watch list in my little IMDb app. Here's my
2: hot tip on that is whenever I search that, I keep getting the hunt but uh, it's not
1: The Hunt. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a million other Hunt-related hunt, hunt related titles that are not what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I will find it eventually. Cool. Kit, there's so much that After- you just
2: listed that I want to see. Dude, and I've, I, like I said, I've already seen 15, and I have so many more I want to see. Um, so I'm going to keep burning through these really quick. Uh, Come True is very uh, intriguing. It is is it our house or our home? Gosh, my memory is just so bad.
1: Ooh. that The guy from uh, Hemlock Grove is in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. He makes a very hunky nerd. Um, well, I haven't seen him in anything. It long in, long. But it's basically like about a dream. Oh, so, you know, it's of interest to me. Uh, oh, okay. Investigating dreams and these haunting oh, figures it's in it's your dreams.
1: Wait, can you give us a, a synopsis of that one? It's it's actually not even on IMDb. The synopsis. The what if you get a poster too. I'm like sorry. It like, like the artwork is just really getting me. Like, like <laughs> you look at that and you say, like, what the fuck is that? I need to know what that story is.
2: I know it I is know, a really cool poster, poster that we may uh, have exclusively debuted a few weeks ago. I'm so bad keeping up with the exclusive posters that you get we post too much stuff okay so here is the synopsis actually i know they sent me an updated synopsis so let me make sure i read the right one (laughs) don't want to make anybody mad okay here we go high school student sarah is at her lowest point yet when she runs away from home and finds herself with no one to rely on and struggling with recurring nightmares she chances upon a university sleep study that offers the promise of safety and money, and brings her an unexpected friend and confidant in the overseeing confidant, in the overseeing scientist Jeremy. That would be uh, he of Hemlock Grove. But there is something curious about the proceedings, and being under observation makes Sarah's disturbing dreams even worse. As the darkness begins to close in, it's soon clear that Sarah has unknowingly become the conduit to a horrifying new discovery. Okay. You peek
0: and,
2: Yeah, that's what I'm going to do there because that's still under embargo. Um, but I think that the poster gives a good sense of how it's a very stylish situation. And next in horror, I haven't seen any of these. I will say that all three of these titles I know barely anything about because I wanted to go in as blind as possible except that I've heard very good things, mumblings, rumblings about all three of them which are bleed with me the Block Island Sound and For the Sake of Vicious. All three of those have been, murmurs have been positive murmurs. Hmm. So I'm excited to check those all out. Wow! And to close us out, I will take us quickly through documentaries, which is very strong yeah. haul so far from what I've seen. Um, <clears throat> Hail to the Deadites is delightful. Yes. It makes me cry. A lot, which I wasn't expecting, but it's basically about the Evil Dead fandom, and it took about 10 minutes for me to start crying because it made me realize how much I miss horror events and the horror community. It's just full of that good feeling and that love we all share, the community, that sense of community is super strong, and I think what they did that's really brilliant, this was clearly put together on like a shoestring budget, and... They filmed it mostly at conventions where they could have a few minutes with the talent. And obviously, they did not have the money to have footage or music from the films. So what they did instead was use fan art, fan stage shows, fan music, fan films to fill in the background. And it is wonderful. You just feel all the love for this franchise. I I find it truly delightful. And it's one of those things where like, had it arrived in another time? I would have been charmed by it, but being so removed from the horror community, I was mm-hmm. moved by it. That's,
1: that's like close to the top of my must watch list.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a good one and it'll make you feel the feels. I need um, it. A similar sort of like very obvious um, spit and duct tape style documentary that I really enjoyed is called clapboard Jungle. And that is all about getting into indie filmmaking from the perspective of me up, or you look up the director's name.
1: Oh, I'm um, sorry, what did you say the first
2: word was? Clapboard.
1: Oh, clapboard.
2: Uh, but it's, it's from his perspective over the years, trying to get his indie genre films made and into festivals. Um, McConnell. Justin McConnell, thank you, Yes. Super, super informative. I would say this is like essential viewing for anyone who wants to be an indie filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It is the most candid look at the process, the behind the scenes of being at these festivals, networking, the rejections you get that turn into wins, that turn into losses and the whole, you know, the the very much a testament to every movie is a miracle. Like they shouldn't be made. It doesn't make sense how they get made at all uh, because the whole journey is just, just insane but that's a really good one if you do want to make movies it is by far one of the most uh illuminating looks behind the scenes of the indie process that I've seen and it has uh you know the talking heads are all very cool he got a lot of people to speak for it has Guillermo del Toro, Justin and Aaron, a lot of uh faces you'll like to see. This is quite the list. Yes (laughs) yes it is uh okay one that I really truly loved that I had no idea about going in. I thought it like, you know, you get this list of titles and you read the synopsis, but then there's 50 movies or whatever, so you forget which one's which. I kind of thought this was a horror movie for some reason when I started the screener, it's not at all. It's a (laughs) documentary about a sex worker. It's a woman in Australia who was a housewife and a mother and miserable and depressed. And she gave up her housewife life to become a pornographer. And it's about sort of how that has fulfilled her, how it's made her question herself. Uh, and it's very honest, very candid, no easy answers. It's not a movie that's like, throw out your life and do whatever you want. You'll be happy every second of every day. It's like, you will be more happy, but there's a price too. And What's that one called? Morgana. Morgana. Yeah. I really was very moved by it. Um, and it is, even though it's honest, it is inspirational in the sense of like we do write our own lives and we can change them. It's never too late to change it. Nobody gets to tell you what you do with your body or your life. You decide for yourself. Um, uh, I love it so much. I can't recommend enough. I will give a warning that there's like a lot of actual porn in it cause it shows her films. So like, if you're really sensitive to sex, I guess, but, uh, it's all very like body positive, uh, feminist porn it's nothing that's like gonna make you want to call the authorities they should um,
1: put that that disclaimer all over the movies marketing but with like your exact intonation
2: if <laughs> you have a problem with sex <laughs> <laughs> uh, and two uh, two bigger name ones you might have already heard about feels good man is the documentary about the the sort of insidious rise of Pepe the Frog or whatever and mm. it's about how the, the creator sort of watched his positive, fun-loving cartoon get turned into a, a, the imagery of online hatred. So that is definitely worth checking out. I think that comes out pretty soon. And Class Action Park. So <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes, the trailer for that just hit. And it looks so fun. I haven't got to see it yet. But it is about a the theme park with the most lawsuits. And the insanity of that whole mm-hmm. situation. So uh, documentary lineup is super duper strong. And the ones I've seen so far were all really good. So like I'm saying, this is just like such a good year so far.
1: If, if anyone wants to see that one in the New York area, I think they're screening it at uh, Rooftop Films this weekend. I forget the website where you can go to get tickets, but I'm pretty sure that's happening this Saturday night in Brooklyn.
2: Well, if you do that, be safe, wear a mask. They're doing it, it's a a drive in.
1: Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) Uh,
2: A couple that didn't easily fit into categories. The Columnist stars Katja Erbers, amazing, as a uh, writer who starts to take vengeance against commenters. It is, oh boy, very, very unique tone, very violent. <laughs> Katja Herbers grounds the whole thing in her for phenomenal performance. Um, and I want to look up this gentleman's name because it's the first movie I've ever seen him in. And he was so good. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's not like, it's not a film with very clear morals, which kind of works to the favor of its comedy. But it is very entertaining, and it is a performance-driven film. So it's Katja Herbers, and this gentleman is Bram von der Kellen. Uh, Never seen him before. Looked at his IMDb. Very few credits. Just so good. He plays a a sort of, like, edge lordy type asshole that she spars with on a TV interview, but then she meets him in real life and he's actually super wonderful and he only does that to sell books and he has a very healthy relationship with the internet to contrast her horrific internet life. Uh, I would recommend that. It's not perfect, but I I had a good time with it and I really, Kasha Herber's is going to really blow up, I think, one day. And I wanted to point out Crazy Samurai Musashi which is very flawed. That would be like in the C plus range for me, but it is quite the accomplishment. (laughs) It's basically um, designed with two bookend sections. And then the middle portion is one 70 minute, one take fight scene. Like it's obviously not really one take, Mm but one take. Uh, That is as impressive and as tiresome as it sounds. But if, if you are enthusiastic, enthusiastic about fight scenes, choreography, how you pull off that kind of thing, it's definitely worth checking it out. And it's very impressive, ambitious and uh, a bit redundant because it is a 70 minute fight scene. So there are highs and lows to it. But I still for me, it falls right on the uh, over the line into positive territory because I do find it so like stunningly impressive that they pulled it off. Um, and it's clear they did it with like not much money. Mm, and there was one more, one more. What was it? Oh, right. Oh. Survival <laughs> skills is without question the weirdest one I've seen yet. Uh, Survival skills? Yes. It it looks like it's just going to be a VHS tape nostalgia thing, and then it becomes something very different. It it's basically presented as a 1980s cop instructional video and you follow the main like the main character in the instructional video but he starts to go crazy like having seen a domestic violence case that he can't get out of his head and he can't let go and he dwells on it and then it goes from this retro vhs comedy to very dark very timely territory about um police officers so that is a very very weird one Sort of narrated by Stacey Keith, um, well worth checking out.
1: We we need to like we need to revisit this list and prioritize ones to dive into.
2: Yes, and you, this is you, like barely scratching the surface. Much homework. I know. I just talked for at least twenty minutes, and there are honestly so many more movies that I have not seen or even considered yet. It's an incredible year at Fantasia.
1: <laughs> that's freaking awesome i'm so excited <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> fun. what i said it's been so fun i've missed movies you you seem like extra energized from it and i think i think i'm like feeding off of that right now and also the fact that it's just like like we are, we should do this actually there's going to be a list of all those titles in the comment section below if you guys want to like search them out yourself and start you know penciling them in on your calendar that you don't yeah. physically write anymore. You know what I mean? But like seriously just like feeding off your energy and also looking at the list that I just made on my phone. Whoa. And
2: there will be many uh reviews coming to collider.com as well if you yes. want more insight on any of them. I can't wait to check it out. So yeah. And I wonder if being energized has anything to do with the three days off work. Hmm?
1: (laughs) I'm sure that's part of it. Have you not been staring at a
2: computer screen as much as you usually do? Watching these movies, but uh, no, not at all. I've been completely ignoring the, the internet. Yeah.
1: I think that's, that's what I might need to do in my free time a little more, but like, I can't help it. I enjoy spending my free time on my computer. I understand that.
2: I'm not saying I'm not using it at all, but if I am, I'm doing things I think are fun, not like okay. movie news and not that you know what I mean. Not work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly still, not
1: I find myself blurring the line between like fun stuff on the computer and work related things too often. Yeah. But I do it all the time, I can't help it. Do we want to talk a little news? That's before good. we leave everyone? All right. Guess what headline I'm picking today? Screen (laughs) 5 adds Jenna Ortega, who... I love that Jeff Jeff gets points for this headline, who was so good on you last season, because she was. She was. was. And I very vividly remember watching season two of you and saying, like, she's got something special, because, you know, she was in season two alongside, you know, some seasons heavyweight actors or or more heavyweight than she is and I think she totally held her own especially in a role like that where like she had to have like like a really sassy commanding presence and and also show vulnerability at the right moments which I think she nailed across the board
2: yeah she's great uh she was definitely a standout that I'm tripping out a little bit because it feels like that show came out seven years ago but it was like six (laughs) months ago it wasn't that long ago, yeah, but yeah, she's great, and I'm you know, of course, all oh, the gardeners here don't mind me. Yeah. The,
1: the gardeners <laughs> came early today,
2: they did. We even tried to schedule around it, womp womp. But uh, that's a really good like step in the direction of filling out the returning original cast with exciting younger names, which is yeah obviously essential to the Scream formula and well, we are not secret uh, Scream 4 fans on this show. I do. That was a really great example of just a killer younger cast to match the older uh, Mm -hmm. generation. And I, I, it seems they're on the right foot again. Yeah. I, I very much
1: agree with that. If anybody needs a little rundown, I'm going to read the first bit of Jeff's article. So you know where it stands with casting right now. Courtney Cox and David Arquette are both set to reprise their roles. Nev Campbell is currently in talks, and then we have Jenna Ortega and also in the Heights star Melissa Barrera, who joined the cast earlier this week. And uh, no news on what their roles are going to be. Those details are being kept under wraps.
2: I'm going to guess high school students. If I had to have
1: that. That's so. Like, I never would have guessed you would have thought that.
2: This is like a shot in an art.
1: <laughs> Do you have any predictions as far as the story and then pairing the young generation and the old? Sorry,
2: you glitched a little bit. Say that again.
1: Do you have any predictions as to like how they're going to link the original characters with this new set? Because we've already played the 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 family angle in Scream Four, so I kind of doubt they're going to go that route again.
2: That's intriguing. I do not. Do you?
1: So the part of the conversation, the story prediction conversation that I've got very hung up on is something that I was discussing with Donato. We were trying to predict who from the original cast is going to die. Because, I mean, you know how obsessed I am with this ensemble. I don't want to see anybody die. I love them so much. But the truth of the matter is, Those three characters have made it through four feature films. I mean, suspension of disbelief, it's going to be a problem if they all make it through a fifth. And my prediction is that because Dewey and Gale have a relationship, that might make Sydney more vulnerable, especially because the series has been so much about how she puts others at risk. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some interesting bits to mine in kind of, you know, flipping that on its head a little. Mm-hmm. And maybe that will that will force her to come to terms with the fact that she's in a position where she's got to sacrifice herself in order to preserve the one she loves. I don't know those are that's just kind of like where my head is at right now,
2: yeah, that's curious. I mean, killing off Sidney would affirm more than anything else that it's a new chapter, a new franchise essentially um it would likely infuriate the original fan base, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. I think something they might be considering. Um, yeah. I think that the most emotional play would be killing Dewey. I think he's always been the one that's like a straight shot to your heart from the minute you meet him, which is why he almost died in the first film. Cause it's like, oh, it's, don't, do it. don't um, do it. I guess that's my bet. It's Dewey. All right. And that- we should make
1: an official pool or something. We should <laughs> do that. We should, like, we should make, like, legit bets about Scream 5 info. And then as all the info pours in, like, we'll, like, see how it stacks up. That'd be fun. I actually have to put the
2: time into organizing that, but we should do it. I'm also curious, like, uh, it, it does come down to some actual real-world logistics, right? Like, which, who is willing to give the most time to be in the film? Like if there's, if there's one of them that really doesn't want to do much, they might be the one.
1: I hope that that's not how I I would be very, very surprised if that's how the story, if, if that dictated the story, you know what I mean? Also Uh, the other, the other concern I have is I very much hope that the returning folks are in like meaty ensemble parts Because the second you tell me, oh, it's like a cameo, I'm like, oh, so it's going to be Cotton all over again and you're going to die in the opening scene.
2: Well, that's what my, like, my fear would be that they kill off the original cast in the opening scene to make some bold statement. But I don't, I think that would, like, be such an isolating decision. That would feel,
1: that would feel kind of gross to me.
2: Same. But it felt gross It they killed Cotton that way and they sure did it.
1: It was And it was so, I'm like, I'll never get over that, too, because they did so much work with that character in Scream 2, and there was so much further they could have taken him. And then i was just still, like,
2: oh. Still salty about that. Not gonna yeah. lie. Uh,
1: I'm, still, I'm still salty about that and also the the very big end reveal in Scream 3. I enjoy watching the movie, but those bits do not work.
2: No, I was reading uh, something earlier, I think, Where'd that tab go? Ah, yeah, Arquette. I don't know if he said this before, but he said that Scream 3 is his least favorite.
1: I mean, I don't think he's alone on that.
2: We had to throw out the script at the beginning. They were rewriting the whole time. We'd get pages like on the day of shooting. It was just kind of all over the place. It's interesting and it's funny, but it's a different tone from the rest. Not wrong. Yeah.
1: Because they had that whole thing where where they had different endings, too, and they shot them, and it's like, you know, is it to throw off the actors and keep the element of surprise, or is it because they're figuring shit out that <laughs> maybe should have been figured out beforehand?
2: Look, I, I I have a soft spot for it, but you know it's definitely... Oh, a- I have a soft spot for it, too.
1: Yeah. I have just a big, as big of a soft spot for Scream 3 as I do Jurassic Park 3, and I will fight <laughs> anyone for both of them.
2: Mine is definitely bigger for Scream three, but I do always, that, always chuckle at the cell phone scene. That's what I want.
1: My what's what's the Fantastic Fest fight thing called? Is that the feud?
2: Yeah, no, the one where you actually like you debate and you punch people. Yeah, it's the Fantastic debates.
1: That's what I want to do, and I want to either fight for Scream three or Jurassic Park three. I don't know what like like the overarching like theme is, but I wanna fight for those movies. I support it. I'll
2: be there. Okay. If on. I don't know. Uh, gosh, I don't even know that's such a when I don't know, the <laughs> pandemic no, no, there's no fantastic fest this year, frankly devastating. But also I don't know, when are we gonna be able to hit each other in the face? <laughs> it might be a little while. Yeah.
1: um do you want to hit that other news story
2: before we wind down Uh, might as well just throw it out there and say hell yeah uh i flagged that that little news that uh rachel weiss is gonna star in a remake of dead ringers which is yeah (laughs) that's a yes for me i Uh, anything is a yes for me (laughs) yeah that's that's a big part of it, <laughs> but also, I mean, it's an incredibly demanding role because she's playing twins who are uh, twisted in their own ways, but very different, and I don't know. It's, it's going to be an Amazon thing, and from my understanding, David Cronenberg is not involved, which is a little sketch, but also we've seen plenty of good adaptations that don't have the original creators. And we've seen plenty that do that go poorly. So that to me is not a deciding factor. Um, my deciding factor is Rachel Weiss is going to eat this alive. Yeah. She's yeah to I, I fully believe that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just like, you couldn't, I, not that I would have been inherently negative towards the idea of a Readaptation of Dead Ringers but like you couldn't have made me more immediately not judgy of it than mm-hmm. by passing Rachel Weiss. that is that is a golden ticket to goodwill
1: yeah no I would say that I mean it, it's making me think back to to Marin Ireland too and it's just like I'd love to make a list of those actors where it like doesn't even matter like what the project is. If it's a crazy original story that shouldn't work or if it's a reboot that never should happen. The second a name like that is attached, I'm like, yeah. I got yeah. I at least have a degree of faith right now. Yeah. You know, you know who else is on that list? Hmm. Carrie Coon. Oh of course. I was already mighty obsessed with her work before this, but we do have an episode of Ladies' Night with her in the can. And she is Like just a phenomenal interview, like so super nice and informative. And she gave us so many good stories and I don't know, she's just the greatest. So put her on the list too.
2: She's like a really, I don't know. She's a full grown adult before she started to get a star really going for herself. Like Mm -hmm. she was famous until, at least in my knowledge, until The Leftovers, right? That's what kind of made her a name name. Like,
1: I know her whole journey now. Um, she, she was very into the theater scene for a yeah. while. And then when she moved with a show from, I believe it was Chicago to Broadway, that got her a Tony nomination. And I think that's where it started to rise. But immediately after that happened, I think in the same year is when she got both Gone Girl, and which is her first feature film credit. And also The Leftover. So it was definitely when, you know, she was a bit older and it was, whoa, all at once.
2: That's what you, I, I have found a lot is actors who, who already put a career in, in theater, or maybe it was an undersung television role, um, but who have worked for decades doing the craft before they got famous, tend to be so fascinating to talk to because they're mostly just a normal person who has a really cool job.
1: Yeah. You could definitely put her in that category. Who else was I? Oh, Emmy Raver Lampman. She was another one that had theater, theater come first. And like her, her story and just like her approach to picking roles was like very unique and fascinating to me.
2: I love her um cranston is sort of a king of that category
1: yeah you know it's funny i was just about to bring him up but i couldn't remember if it was a situation where theater had come first or if it was just peppered throughout his career but he is a very heavy you know stage resume
2: yeah and he didn't get his star really going to malcolm in the middle which was a different type of yeah. thing and then came breaking bad which made him yeah. like bright cranston
1: He's he's so cool, too. I just got to talk to him for the one and only Ivan. And it's just like, I don't know if there's if you admire Brian Cranston, isn't like it a really nice thing to know that he's also a delight to talk to.
2: It really is. He's and so he cool. really
1: cares, too.
2: I know he's one of the he's like a top tier interview and you will never yeah. I've never met anyone who would say differently.
1: Yeah, I've interviewed him twice now and he delighted me both times.
2: He's very gracious.
1: He is. He definitely is. All right. Very I think good. that's your witching hour for the week. Hey. We got some like cool stuff brewing, though. Yeah, okay. it's stuff that I'm afraid to verbalize until it's in the can. Yeah. Although I believe we're we're committed to one of the next things. So, can, like, are you allowed to tease it? Well, I don't know which which one. It was it was the thing that you arranged.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's, that seems pretty darn committed. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be you know, just in time for spooky season to kick off. We're going to be getting a tutorial on how to basically put on some zombie effects and we're going to do it on camera for you. And, and we'll have a, a professional teaching us how to make ourselves disgusting. And then we'll have a, a bit of a chat with the person who runs this program that, that does online classes. And, uh, Hopefully, you can also make yourself disgusting for Halloween. I am
1: just, like, so giddy about this whole idea. And I'm just, like, picturing just me being terrible at it and Dewey being like, what the heck is going on here? It's going to be chaos, and I love it.
2: It's going to be wonderful. And just so I uh, can say this correctly, it is Austin School of Film's online play-at-home program that we will be uh, learning from.
1: I'm so pumped.
2: I'm so pumped. I can't wait.
1: All right, guys, while you wait for that episode of The Witching Hour, Haley, where can everyone find your work and your Fantasia coverage?
2: Well, that would be on collider.com. You can find me on Instagram at Haystack and on Twitter at Haley
1: Um, You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at P. Oh, this might be a good uh, time to plug our involvement in the stranger. Ah. Quibi's, Quibi's the Stranger Drive-In event in LA. If you're if you're in that area, but uh, certain someone got to moderate that post screening Q and A, uh, and I'm mighty pumped for everybody to see it on the big screen too. It's a a cool opportunity. And when so, is that event? That event is August 25th, and cool. you can find all the details for that and a ton of Stranger coverage on Collider.com. But that's it for now. We're out of here. You've officially survived the witching hour. It's
0: that little chico pit pool, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you've got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award winning, easy to use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go!